What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jeremy Jackson Jr.'s, John Morant's, Joe Johnson's, John Raff's. We've got Jays we got for days. Josh, how you doing? You know, I've already tried to think about how I want to handle this whole everybody thinks I is going to win the Big Ten thing. It's weighing on me, and we're in June, beginning of June. That's that. That's a really yes. I, I'm I'm <laughs> also there in the camp of like. Hmm. It's gonna take I'm a very... lot of a lot of thought and reflection to figure out how how I'm gonna feel about this by the time we preview. Oh, it'll today. take me no. It'll take me no <laughs> thought and reflection. I won't believe it until I see it. Trivia time. When was the last time Indiana was over 500 in the Big Ten? Oh, was Tom Crean the coach? Hold on, I'm not there yet. I just sort of assumed it's been a while. Um, yes, Tom Crean was the coach. Was that the year they made the Sweet 16 as the one team? Um, yes, it was. Uh, 2014? 2016. Okay. The 2015-16 season, the 2016 NCAA tournament. Yeah, okay. They went 27-8 and eight and 15-3. and three in the big 10 winning the big 10 by a full two games yeah since then 7 and 11 9 and 9 8 and 12 9 and 11 7 and 12 9 11 josh i don't know if you know but you're gonna have to win more than nine conference games to win the big 10 you're gonna have to do it especially now that they play 20 right especially <laughs> uh yeah yeah, I mean, I'll believe the 21 and 14 jump to the 27 and 8 jump when I see it. That's all I'll say. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting between that and now what we have with Gonzaga, because I feel like those were the, the two big winners of the draft decisions. Just because everybody else in the Big Ten left and Gonzaga got their guys back. Right. So we got that. North Carolina. There's we're gonna we're gonna have to have a lot of our favorite conversation about why people have faith in teams that have exhibited no reason to give you confidence to believe in them. I it's, mean, we're it's going to be one of those years. We're, and we're talking about a team that ultimately won one more game than the IU team that didn't get a chance to play in the Big Ten tournament or the NCAA tournament. The 2019-20 team, if you brought that exact same team back, Archie Miller got fired. Uh, after the COVID year, but I'm not sure that's fair. Um, but on his way out, and that team won one less game and got four less chances. They played three less games, three fewer games, whatever. Welcome to be excited about it. On the surface, it sounds good, but I, I, I'm much more interested in the teams that have actually proven any time in the last – you know, decade that they can win Big Ten games with consistency. Yeah, it's just weird because that is on paper the logical consensus choice. Right, we're not usually talking about a St. John's or Indiana or teams like that that we always love to give a little bit of a hard time to is, you know, overhyped coming into a season and then are, as you like to say, aggressively average. It's not, it's not a, I don't know if we've ever had a situation where that team is generally viewed as the favorite. 
to win the conference. I will never consider them the favorite. And so that's conference. what we're going to have never to for, kind of... not Never for a single second. And Don't I, care. And I'm with you. I need to, I want to go deep into my mind and reflect on exactly why I feel that way, other than the, the obvious that you've already pointed out. It's just a weird thing, and I don't like it. I don't like having to have that conversation. Right. That's really what this comes down to. It's like Duke every single year. Every single year, based on roster, Duke should be the favorite to win the ACC every single year. Even the years that Virginia goes 18 and three, the better that roster that is almost Carolina always on. That one was... well, I don't care about, I'm not talking about North Carolina. I'm talking about the, the idea that a, the roster being the best in the conference does not translate to you winning the conference. Sure. Because Duke has had the best roster in the ACC for the last 40 years. I mean, and this past year was the first time they'd won it since they won a national championship. That's yeah. all I'm saying. And Indiana has not incited any confidence in me whatsoever. This is a team that only beat Maryland and Minnesota in the Big Ten regular season after January 29th. And they beat Maryland on January 29th. So it was longer than that than they beat somebody not named Maryland or Minnesota. That's okay. That's okay. We're going to have to deal with it. Just wanted to start the conversation. And I will I will stamp my, my approval on any other team because – I guarantee you I'll be able to find at least two teams that I feel better about than Indiana winning the Big Ten. I guarantee you. But That's for another day, though. Yes. Um, Indiana's not winning the Big Ten. Just, it's just not going to happen. Um, June 6th, 2.55 in the afternoon. That's when we're recording this podcast. We are almost a little over two weeks away from the – 2022 NBA draft, which means it's time to return to one of our favorite practices. Yeah, talking about prospects is fun from a dissecting games perspective, but what's much more fun is to attach arbitrary superlatives to individual players and talk about them. So that's what we're going to do today. But first, what we're going to do is we're going to first to introduce you time to kind of to the categories or reintroduce you to the categories. We each have come with the list that we made last year for this particular podcast. And we've come equipped with just how wrong we are. Honestly, Josh, I'm not, I was wrong in a few places, but yeah. I actually, I actually don't feel all, I was really, really wrong in one particular spot. Same. Other than that, I was, I actually am pretty okay with a lot of the yeah. things that I did. I'm not ashamed, not ashamed. Wasn't okay. 100% right, but not ashamed of what we're so, about to discuss here. I've got, there are 10 total categories. So quickly we'll run through, you know, to introduce you to each category and to uh, expose ourselves, we'll run through what we did last year uh, and the decisions we came to and then move into the 2022 draft class and put that list together as well. Mr. Doring, I have, I'm just good. I've got my list here. I'm just going to go in that order. And if it's not your order, then I'm sorry, but that's just, that's just how it's going to be. But at the top of my list is most intriguing. Who from the 2021 class was deemed your most intriguing prospect? Josh Kitty. I feel very good about this. You know, I think, all of a sudden you're right this is also part of this is were we wrong about this particular player but also where on this list could he have been right and there are a lot of of these <laughs> right. spots that josh Giddy also could have been right yes but um 
certainly an intriguing prospect that has turned out very, very well and is all of a sudden a part of the the foundation of the Oklahoma city. I mean, at least theoretical rebuild at some point, they won't be drafting in the top four, but, and it seems that if that is to happen about in the near five future, years from now, but you know, <laughs> well, but in the near future, um, Josh Giddy seems to be a part of, of that rebuild in a very real way. Just treat it with the utmost disrespect at the end of this year with all rookie teams. Couldn't believe it. Could you not believe it? Did, were you were you outraged when it happened, or were you re-outraged when you went to this list and you're like, "Oh yeah, right." Both. A little bit of both. I was, I was upset that he didn't. I, I don't know what what else you want from him. He was terrific. And it's hard to judge whether I was right or wrong about an intriguing player, but he certainly turned out to be intriguing. But like you said, he could also fit some even more either important or flattering that's what I was looking for superlatives we have coming up here but that's why I had I, I feel like also that it just was a tough year to try and be an all rookie guy. I mean, he was the second team all rookie. I mean, the first team all rookie guys were Scotty Barnes, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Evan Mobley, and Franz Wagner. I mean, like the only one you even have a conversation for is Franz Wagner. Franz Wagner, yeah. But Franz was was very solid at at or in Orlando. So my so point being is that teamer. is that it's not like it was easier to be a first team no. guy. Being on the second team, there are guys who were good in the NBA as a rookie that didn't even make the second team. And having a, a class that deep doesn't doesn't happen all that often. Yeah. My most intriguing player was Kai Jones. I was very I was very adamant about this into the going into the draft pro, uh, process last year. Um, you know, there wasn't there wasn't a whole lot of man. Did you see what Kai Jones did? Right. I mean, you wanted him to turn into this like pick and roll, stretch big, shooter, super athletic, run the floor. And in theory, it was going to be really, really fun to watch him do that with LaMelo Ball. And it just, it hasn't quite happened in that, in that way yet. I'm still, I still got faith. I still sure, got faith. sure. But um, I still do stand by the fact that his talents are intriguing, but 21 games, one point and half a rebound being his averages in uh, his rookie season. Not exactly, uh, not exactly intriguing. Okay. Go ahead. Guys, you can't really be wrong about that one yet. So. Sure. But it was a very boring rookie. See, not, not all yeah, that intriguing right. for, for our boy, for our boy Kai Jones. Okay. This is where I expose myself. Yep. Um, word for word. I put most risky. Uh, anybody, any perimeter player who has quote needs to develop a shot in his resume. Um, <laughs> and then I pointed specifically to Scotty Barnes. Yeah. Um, swing and a miss. Uh, I was wrong in many ways. We don't have to rehash. Um, it just was, uh, he was spectacular in the running for, you know, in the running and, you know, went ahead and won the rookie of the year award. So, you know, swing and a miss, it is what it is, but I will, but again, if another guy with similar talents of Scotty Barn comes and it says, Hey, that guy can't shoot it. I'm going to say the same thing. I still believe it. I just think he's that good. Now that's the, this is not a change in my philosophy. If you can't shoot and you are a playmaker, it is much harder to become a playmaker in the NBA. I still stand by that. 
Um, and I have other philosophies that we'll get to later in this um, conversation with this year's draft in particular, but I still stand by that. I say, I, I think, I think Scotty is the exception of a guy who comes into the NBA with an underdeveloped jump shot. He just does so many other things so well, and he plays so much older than he is. I was wrong. Absolutely. Um, but I, it, I'm not, I'm not willing to give up on my, on, on that philosophy. I'm just not. Well, if it makes you feel better, do you remember who mine was? <laughs> um, I do not No. Evan Mobley. Oh yes, you're right. Evan Mobley was yours. Yeah. Okay. Fair. We're just, Swing we're just gonna, there. Yeah, we're just going to take the L's. That we're was just, easily my worst worst categorization that was easily mine choice as well. so we're just gonna that, move on from most risky that was that was mine as well all right you're most likely to be a steal was i would assume who okay yes. that's a that's a that's a home run there feel very good about that and very good about my selection for this year too must say um, I feel very good about my selection for this year too, which would be a dumb thing for me to not feel good about. I mean, that's true. I have no reason to not feel good about it yet. Um, my most likely to be a steal was Jared Butler. Um, played in 42 games for uh, for the Jazz this year. Um, there's part of me that's like, yeah, he probably he didn't turn into the you know backup guard that I was kind of hoping he would turn into. But also any guy who produces at all with the 40th overall pick is a, the spirit of this award. Certainly not, um, certainly not quite what I got from Jared Butler, but I don't feel horrible about it. No. I still think, I mean, if I, if I had to go back and look probably, I mean, it's probably, it's probably your boy. That's probably the, I mean, Desumu went, where did he go? Desumu went, how far down is Ayo Desumu? Where are you, buddy? Where did Ayo Desumu go in the draft? He was? Oh, 38th. There he is. Yeah, Sorry. Okay. 38th. Uh, so in terms of production, that's, that's absolutely, I mean, he played 77 games. Uh, the, the, the other answer is probably Herb Jones. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that was the only uh, that was the only guy in the second round to play more games this year than Io. Or he, he might. Be, I mean, there's a real argument he was even better than Desumu. Yes. He was... Um. So that's the that's the other guy. Um. Who's probably who's in the running there? Um. And was pro and probably had and had the better season than Io. With you know, just all due respect. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Better no, season and pretty much. Oh, yeah every facet of the game other than assists, which, which makes sense, but that's, um, but so bones Highland at 26 was probably the other guy that was like, you know what, that guy really turned into an important player for a team deep in the first round. So um, good job by you. That's a well job. As my dad would say, that's a well Thank job you. for you. Okay. Moving forward quickly. Most overhyped. I had Jonathan Kaminga. Um, I, I, don't I saw flashes I also see him not playing for the Warriors in the playoffs so either way um but I also think that's that was a predictable thing to have happen um so the jury's still out on that pick for me yeah uh, you were closer than me I said Franz Wagner so ah uh, okay yes <laughs> you Wagner. can take the point on that one I'll take it all right John uh excuse me highest ceiling I went with Cade Cunningham. So you, went with, you went with Cade Cunningham. Yeah. Okay. I got no issues with that. Nope. We both we both picked a 
um, first team all rookie guy. I think perhaps there are other guys that, um, that are in that discussion there, but picking a guy who is first team all rookie. Um, and I think alleviated a lot of, a lot of the concerns that some people had about his shot creation and being able to get where he wanted to in the NBA. So I don't feel too bad about that one. My highest floor, Davion Mitchell. Yours was Jalen Suggs, which TBD. Mm, that was well. Well, Jalen Suggs was my most NBA ready guy, so uh, that's you know. Hey, Davion Mitchell was mine. Really? Okay. Yeah. Well, th- then there you go. So we're kind of in the same highest floor, most NBA ready. I think are kind of getting at the same thing, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, played seventy five games. 861 points, not a great three point shooting year, but I mean, a a 12, two and four year from a rookie. I mean, that's, that's not horrible. And I still, you know, it's just the dark, deep, dark place where prospects go to the Sacramento. So it's got to count for something. They were willing to trade Tyrese Halliburton too. Yep. This is true. This is true. Which is still a dumb thing to do with all due respect. This is still, it's still dumb. You still shouldn't have done it, but I'm guessing it's because Indiana did, did they didn't want Davion Mitchell. So I could turn it around and put it that way as well. Cause I guarantee you sure. the Kings asked, tried to give him Davion Mitchell. Yeah. First. I said nothing. Okay. Most exciting. I went with Evan Mobley. I feel pretty valid yep. in that one. And I had Scotty Barnes. So okay. big all right. W's all around there. A couple, a couple W's there. Your biggest project. Sorry. Most NBA ready was we covered that. Yeah. We switched Davion, Mitchell. Davion Mitchell and Jalen Suggs. Yeah. Uh, biggest project. Sharif Cooper. Interesting. I don't even know what Cooper did. He played a little bit. He said he played. <laughs> I, had, I had to look it up too. He was an NBA player, but I think it very much fit the description of biggest projects, biggest prospect. Yeah, biggest project. Geez, can't talk. So I, I feel very strong about, confident, good about that one. Uh, I went with Greg Brown that I don't, uh, I, I don't hate. Um, no. Played 48 games for the Blazers this year, you know, in a, in a limited role, just 13 minutes a game, but 4.7 points, um, over 30% from the three point line, you know, you get move that in the right direction a little bit, an Uber athletic six, nine guy. Um, so I feel pretty good about that one as well. And your most fit dependent good, sir. I think I know who this is. Um, we had a big discussion about this. If I remember correctly, yours is Chris Duarte. That's correct. Which is who I thought it was. My, in theory, I was wrong, <laughs> but it turned out that I was correct for reason for the exact reason why he was my most fit dependent, which was the idea that a team trying to win needed to pick him, mm-hmm. and a team very much not in a position to win picked him, and then he went and did exactly what I expected him to do which would be a very good NBA player immediately. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was wrong, but also in sort of spirit kind of, right? I don't mm-hmm. know. You can be the jury on that one. But that was my whole thing is I wanted him, I wanted the Warriors to take him specifically because he could have done essentially what, I mean, not to the same level, but the same idea of Jordan Poole, mm-hmm. right? Of these guys have a specific skill set, but they can, get you buckets and they can shoot the ball and they're pros and they just know what to do. They mm-hmm. fit into that system seamlessly. Right. And he ended up having to carry a much bigger load for a bad team, but did so very well. Mine is Corey Kispert. 
And part of me is like, do, do just a guy who shoots the three really need a fit? And then I rethought about it. And I think most of where I was coming from was this idea of like, he needs somebody to like, he needs to be asked to do nothing else. And right. he needs to be in a place that he's going to get set up to succeed. But with the guy who's, who, who's there to shot create and a guy who shot creates with the intention of, playmaking as well mm -hmm. and i say that and i differentiate that because i'm not sure bradley beal play is a shot creator no. with the intention to play make for his teammates even no. though he averaged right but only played 40 games and i think that's part of why he was he struggled in his first year i mean if it's not bradley beal then it's you know <sighs> denny avdia in terms of, you know, shot creators. I mean, not shot creators, but playmakers for your teammates. I mean, and Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, of course, no longer a Washington wizard. So a, a guy who needed a shot creator who didn't really get a consistent one all year um, doesn't shock me that. And now he got off to a really slow start, ended up 35% from the three-point line, 88% um, from the free throw line. He's going to be, he's going to be fine, but certainly a guy who's going to be, uh, who needs to slide into it next to a guy on the perimeter who requires a lot of attention, um, which will help Corey Kispert out quite a bit. So that, my friends, is the list. So I'll run through it again. Superlatives. We got 10 categories that we're going to get to for this NBA draft as well. The 10 superlatives are most intriguing, most risky, the most likely to be a steal, the most overhyped, highest ceiling floor, the most exciting, the most NBA ready, the biggest project, and the most fit dependent. Those are the 10 categories that we will run through for the 2022 NBA draft as well. Uh, Mr. Doring, if you were to give yourself a grade from 2021 before we move into 2022, what would that grade be? Feeling B plus. There was I definitely... I More can't give crap bad. to Scotty Barnes and give myself anything higher than a B. I think a B, B minus range for the kid here. Had some good ones, but also I said that the rookie of the year was a risky pick. So um, kind of got to take the L on that one. Hopefully we don't revisit that again, again this year. That's the goal. Try and get better. Try and get better. Try, try, try again. Okay. 2022 NBA draft superlatives. We're a little over two weeks away from draft night thursday june 23rd and it's time to do some 2022 superlatives we will start back from the top mr Dorn, your most intriguing 2022 nba draft prospect shade sharp yeah we're gonna get to him very quickly maybe it's a little too on the nose oh i think i know where you're going with this <laughs> all right to me I, I, I know where you're going to put him, and that, to me, is the other spot he could fit, depending on how you feel about him. Mm -hmm. But there just aren't that many spots I felt comfortable putting him because we know nothing about him. Exactly. So let's use one of our top five picks on him. So that's what – because I am really intrigued and willing to buy the idea that this could work. I'm just not convinced it will, but I'm also not to the point where I'm terrified of taking him. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of went, well, I want him out here somewhere. And 
this is the spot that fits in terms of how I feel about him and how, how I view him heading into this draft. So I didn't have to think too hard about that. So we'll get to him momentarily because I mirror a lot of things that, that you just said. Um, my most intriguing guy is a guy that I see outside of the top 30 in everybody's big board, Ooh. but a guy that was once upon a time, a top five recruit and a guy that you've actually been a little, uh, that you've remained attached to uh, through the college basketball season. That's Paul, Pat Baldwin Jr. There's like a reason, that. there's a reason he was a top five in the recruiting class. He's still yep. a matchup nightmare waiting to happen. Six ten, smooth offensive game. And, and in theory should be the type of guy that can get any shot he wants, right? When you're 6'10 with the skill set that he has, you should be able to get off pretty much any shot that you want, right? Within, within reason. I, and and th- this is kind of where my intrigue comes more than anything is that I'm not sure I care about what happened at Milwaukee. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm not yep. sure I care. And I'm not because, sure the NBA cares. Right. Because, you know, and I almost put him in most likely to steal because if he goes outside of the top 30, if he goes in the second round, then like the 6'10 guy who's smooth offensively, yeah, like that guy has a really good chance to be the steal in the draft. But I'm just not sure I care about, like, I'll put it this way. If anybody that we talk about here went to UW, we'd be talking about his shot selection, does he care defensively, and like how much do the results really matter right because like if you're a five-star going to the to milwaukee sorry did i say uw i meant um yeah sorry um um if all five stars are gonna have bad shot selection at milwaukee if you're a five-star all of them so i'm 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 not sure i care about what specifically happened on milwaukee i think i care more about the guy who is 610 and has a smooth offensive game um, but I'm not really sure. Do I absolutely love him right this second in the draft? No, but I really, really liked him once upon a time. Hence intriguing. And it's not like he forgot how to shoot. Right. The numbers were bad, but there are absolutely explanations out there as to why that happened, as you discussed. And that's a really, I like that a lot because... I very much feel that there are plenty of teams willing to do the exact same thing, but how, how high are you willing to take? Mm -hmm. Because if you're really willing to disregard it, you're taking them in the back half of the first round. Right. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't either. But that's, uh, but Pat Bollinger, my most intriguing. Okay. Let's talk about Shane Sharp. Uh, Shane Sharp is my most risky. Um, I, I understand why, Shaden Sharp is as highly thought of as I'm not naive. Okay. Okay, Josh, I'm not naive. I, I know why he's rated as high as he is. I know why he seems to have as much momentum as he does right now, but I got a couple draft philosophies. Okay. The first one is I don't care about age. If you're 22 years old, I don't care if like, I mean, like, if, if I can't come up with a reason to dislike you other than your age, then the, like, that's just weird, okay? There are, thir- there are 29 other teams in the NBA right now who wish they had Desmond Bain, yep. and all of them didn't pick him because he was 22, or 23, whatever. And now, and now Desmond Bain is one of the three most important pieces in a team that like, 
is on their way to being, you know, the team to beat in the West. That's just like, that seems to be their trajectory. Shouts to the Grizzlies, by the way. And the other one is, if I've never seen you play in a game against other professional athletes, I'm not taking you with the top five pick. I'm not doing it. I don't care. And like when you go and say, hey, show me what Shaden Sharp can do. It's against high school guys. I, I, I don't, I don't care. I just don't. And in, in terms of, in, in, in risk for me also, like I have to take an account where I think this guy is going to be drafted. Yeah, like well, if Shane Sharp is picked 19th out of not the most risky, if I, if it looked like he was going to be picked in the middle of the first round, not, not risky, but if you're going to pick him fourth, when guys like Jaden Ivey and AJ Griffin and um, help throw another name out there. Johnny Davis, Johnny Davis, Keegan Murray. Murray. Like then the, then the risk gets even, even bigger. I, again, I understand why people really like Shaden Sharp. I understand. I understand why they like him more than Keegan Murray, more than Johnny Davis, more than Benedict Mathurin, more than AJ Griffin, more than all of them. I understand. And it's not like I'm sitting here thinking that he's not going to get picked really, really high. I just, I still am not, like, I still can't decide how I feel about the G League team in general, much less a guy who just like Saturday, who, Josh, you know who the last guy to pick really, really high that was like, you know what, I'm going to take the rest of the year off to prepare for for the NBA. Who was drafted super, super high. Ben Simmons? No. Are you counting Ben Simmons as somebody who did that? Yes, but I'm not talking okay. about him. So I'm missing somebody. Yes. His team is in the NBA Finals, and he's not even on the ESPN roster. on the. Oh, basketball. oh, right, right, right. James Wiseman. Yes. There's nothing to suggest that taking a bunch of time off from competitive basketball to quote-unquote prepare for the NBA is the most efficient use of your time. There's just nothing to suggest it. Sure. Um, so until... Shaden Sharp, man, maybe he makes me look really silly. Maybe he wins rookie of the year. That's fine. Um, but if I'm picking fourth, picking a guy who has not played a high intensity basketball game against fellow professional level athletes, um, that's that's a that's a really tough hurdle for me for me to get over. So that's why he's my most risky. The positive spin I will put on it that isn't even positive by your sort of definition and philosophy is. At least he was playing and practice with Kentucky guys. Then again, a lot of those Kentucky guys are not highly touted NBA prospects, but they're still very good. Sure. He has seen something higher than college. Sorry, than high school. Sure. For at least his own benefit heading into the NBA, which does nothing to alleviate all the points you just made, but as a comfort level for him. Sure. And 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 that is all. And and I, I I suppose I should clarify. I'm much more interested, like, I, I like Shaden Sharp. It's, this is not about me not liking Shade. It's not that I think he'll be bad. I just think that by, by my definition, picking a guy that you have no idea how good he was on the floor against other college guys in a real game, like, that's a big jump to, to make. And, and I just will, I'll, I'll hang my hat on that. And if I have to bite my tongue, then in a year's time, I'll bite my tongue. Who's we're your gonna, most risky? We're going to stick in the top five 
Okay. Jaden Ivey. Oh, great. I'm, uh, he's coming up uh, in a couple for me. He's on my list somewhere else in a I, similar, in a I similar have, spot. You know, I assumed as much. Yeah. We know each other too well. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I'm not convinced he can play point guard. So what is he uh-huh. Now, maybe he can. It, it is worth acknowledging, right? He wasn't exactly put in a position to do NBA things at Purdue. Sure. Because Purdue's roster was about as opposite the NBA as you can get with two behemoths who don't shoot. <laughs> this is true. Who were the, also the focal points of the offense because they were behemoths. Mm-hmm. So, because they had to be. Right, because they were just incredible. Right. So it's not, it's not accurate to say he can't do X, Y, and Z, that he needs to be able to do with the NBA to live up to the hype and the expectations that are going to come with where he's going to get picked. Sure. Just haven't seen it. And the other part of this for me is we, we don't have to go all the way back to this, but we've talked about this before of you're picking that high. That guy's supposed to be a franchise player. I don't want franchise players who are so up and down emotional. You're never going to have questions about work ethic, about investment, any of that stuff. The concern is going to be the flip side of can he, can he keep the emotions in check and deal with the inevitable struggles that come with being in the NBA? This is not a question of whether he cares or not. He is way up there on the list of guys with high care levels, right? But, but we've talked about this before. When things went bad for Purdue, I didn't see Jaden Ivey rallying that team, and I didn't see that team display a lot of mental fortitude. To me, if you're the guy and the guy with the ball in your hands, that's got to start with you. So that's the other part of this, too, is, A, I'm just not convinced from a, a technical standpoint that handing – Kim, the keys of your offense is going to work out the way his raw talent suggests it will. Again, also inconsistent shooting wise. Mm-hmm. But I'm also concerned of if he gets in the wrong situation, does it spiral? Right? Because you're you're not going to the Warriors. Mm-hmm. They're there are some rebuilding projects at the top of this draft that last year was a kind of sort of weird in that sense, where you had a Toronto Raptors and a Golden State Warriors mm-hmm. up there in the top 10. Right. Not so much this year, which means you're going to have to deal with some disappointments and frustrations. We're going to swap most likely steal and most overhyped. since this is where I have Jaden Ivey. So we can just have the rest yeah. of this conversation. Sure. So after we're done, you can give me your most overhyped and then we'll go to most likely steal. Um, I can't get the image of Jaden Ivey against St. Peter's out of my head. Yep. I can't do it. Um, I, I get it. He's explosive. He's athletic scoring ability, but I haven't seen Jaden Ivey show up when it matters yet. And I haven't seen Jaden Ivey inspire his team to show up when it matters yet. And maybe I should, you should, you should, maybe you should be like, Josh, get over yourself. Quit being a baby. And just like, look at the player in front of you. But when I look at the player in front of me, I'm not sold on his defense, not sold on his motor, not sold on his ability to on his motor. When things are 
when things aren't going well for him, specifically yeah. on the offensive end. And I've said this a million times to you. I've said this a million times to other people. I've said this a million times to Purdue fans. I've said when Jaden Ivey is scoring on the offensive end, he can guard anybody in the country. When Jaden Ivey is struggling on the offensive end, me, Josh, 5'9", 200 pounds, can go around Jaden Ivey with, without, without trying that hard. That's, that's the, the night and day difference of, J, of how Jaden Ivey's offensive game impacted his defensive intensity at Purdue. So what, what happens if he's like, like, is that what you want out of your franchise guy? I'm not yep. sure it is. And, and the other thing that you touched on that I completely wholeheartedly agree with is either he's going to need to turn into a guy who's actually capable of being a lead guard or teams with him on his teams that have him on his roster are going to struggle in the backcourt. Now, I guess maybe the, the argument I would pose in opposition to that is if he went to the Pistons when you have Kate Cunningham, okay. that theoretically could work. But I'm right that, there with you. That might be fair. But, right, he's, he's not big enough to be the two guard in theory. He doesn't play good enough defense to draw those really important defensive assignments in theory, right? Because in theory, if you're not facilitating, there's somebody else who is. And generally, that guy is not a gifted physical specimen like Kate Cunningham, right? He's generally not a right. six-eight guy who does everything. That's right. part of why Kate Cunningham is so valuable to the Pistons. Because Pistons can go at whoever the heck they want to put next to him. Right. It can be also be a guy who's six eight because then that guy can just be the shooting guard, or it can be a guy, you know, right, like Jaden Ivey, like you know, throw. Oh, sorry, just hit my mic arm there. Um, anybody else that kind of fits that? Are we sure he is he? He might be too small to be a shooting guard, but because Kid Cunningham is there, it's okay. Um, I I I he he's really really loud on the floor from and not from a like cocky i mean like he is but like everybody is from a like when you watch a basketball game that jay nivy is in it's immediately apparent that jay nivy is different right mm-hmm. and that's not what i'm arguing here he's explosive he's athletic he's a ton of fun to watch until he's not fun to watch and then it's man, that guy is like pouting in an NCAA tournament game. He was pouting on the floor in the NCAA tournament game because some little white guy from St. Peter's was like stopping him from scoring at will. And then he just looked completely disinterested. I can't get the, I can't get the the image out of my head. I just can't. And so I, I, is he, is he worthy of a lottery pick? Yeah, absolutely. Are there other guys here that I would pick before picking him at fourth? Certainly. Um, so that's my, that's my Jaden Ivy thing. Now I, I put a tremendous amount of stock in what happened to that Purdue team last year. I was hard on them, not because they lost, but because of the way those losses happened and their lack of attention to detail. I'm with you. I can't get it out of my head. It's going linger until proven otherwise. All right, Mr. Norling, you're most overhyped player. Kendall Brown. Wow, I'm going deep in there. Talk to me. I'm just not sure what he does super well other than being uber athletic. 
He's a very good defender. But give me Jeremy Sohan defensively mm-hmm. all day long. He's bigger. He's stronger. Right? He can play small ball center. At least at the college level. Maybe not in the NBA because he's not that mm-hmm. big. Mm-hmm. And that strong. But like they could, they were almost forced to, but there were times where he was the the big guy guarding the middle. That has not happened with him. Right. And Sohan is just more developed on the offensive end and also has more upside to me because you could see throughout the year he was getting better and better and better and sort of adding more diversity to his game and adding new tricks. This was not supposed to be a two-wing recruiting class that's got Drew brought in here that were one and done. It was supposed to be Kendall Brown. And Sohan's going to get picked before he is. And so to me, it's kind of the Greg Brown thing. I get it. He can do some special things. But, right, he's he's not a great passer. He struggles to shoot the ball. He's not great creating off the dribble. I just don't, I don't see the thing that's going to make him stick. And I will always be hesitant about the uber athletic guy that can't actually, doesn't have that specialized skill to go with. This is the other side of the spectrum of not picking a guy just because he's old. Right? Right. This is the other side. Think of what he could become. Right. Right. This is what, what would you hang his hat on other than athleticism? Versus what wouldn't you hang your hat on other than age, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, granted, I use Desmond Bain as the as the example all the time, and I get that he, you know, shorter arms. Like I get, I, there are other there were I mean, other look at things. Peyton. Look but, at what Peyton Pritchard's been doing in the playoffs. Right. That's another. This is, this is the other side of the spectrum. This is I like. Okay, he's athletic. Great. What else? So so will the other nine guys on the floor. They'll also be athletic. Um, And there are some guys that are just so athletic that even on NBA floors, they look different. I'm not sure Kendall Brown's about to be one of those guys. Yeah, yeah. Jaden Ivey might. I mean, Jaden Ivey might might be that athletic. Zion Williamson was very clearly, very quickly that athletic, Mm -hmm. right? Um, But I'm not sure. Russell Westbrook came to the NBA and I was like, wow, that guy is an athletic freak. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Can, no, nobody's saying that about Kendall Brown. Yeah. And then it's like, oh yeah, he finishes above the rim. Sick. So does eight other guys on the floor. Literally every second of every NBA game. So, um, but we'll see. Um, I think that's certainly one of those guys that I kind of right. If he was like pushing the lottery, I'd be like, I definitely that that name would have come to my mind quicker. Right. I I, I kind of tend to gravitate towards lottery pick guys when it comes to most risky yeah, and most overhyped sure. just yeah. because it's hard to be overhyped the, like it like well inherently if you're middle of the second round you're probably not overhyped right um but not that that's where Kendall brown's gonna go yeah. uh, but i do I, I i share that philosophy of okay so and okay yes and uh, it- yeah, and, and sort of to that point, the reason I was okay going with him, I just don't see that much difference between him and, for example, Peyton Watson. Hmm. Now, hmm. he got way more playing time and was more productive because Peyton Watson was playing behind the best, second best collection of wings in the country. Right, so Kendall Brown got the ex- incredibly valuable experience because 
A, he was already built into having big role, and B, that team was so banged up that anybody who was healthy got to play a bunch. But from a that's that's where I'm kind of coming from. This is there's going to be a huge gap between where those two guys get drafted, and to me, they're just not all that different. Agreed. Which will mean Kendall Brown will win rookie of the year. But yeah, of course. All right, your most likely steal. Justin Lewis. Okay. He averaged 17 and 8, shot 35% from three. As the dude who it was very clear as a freshman, oh, that's an NBA level athlete with an NBA bot. He then came back and was really good for the strangers team in college basketball last year. I mean, I haven't heard any buzz about him going in the first round. I love his upside. And to me, he would be a lottery pick if he came back and played another year. And so he's not, you know, he's proven himself at the college level. He could have used another year, but to me, it's in that sweet spot where he doesn't need it, but he's going to get punished because he's not at the top of everybody's big boards. I just would not be surprised one bit if we look up and he's sort of that guy that's come out of the second round and is putting up good numbers for a team and really helping them right away. And it might, well, you know, it might hurt his initial paycheck, but it might help him from a sense that he might go to a team that's good. Right. Exactly. He might be looking up and like, Oh yeah, Justin Lewis, eighth guy, third guy off the bench. Yep. Averaging 10 for a good basketball team. That doesn't seem like all that much of a stretch, but you're right. Um, and also with all due respect to Marquette, like Marquette started strong, kind of stumbled down the stretch and very quickly kind of be, I mean, we've talked about, this is why Shaka Smart being at Marquette is such a nice fit because he's kind of just a, in the shadows, really annoying team to play and being on the team that's in the shadows in the big East, then that's really annoying to play. And like, ultimately wasn't that great is not exactly the sexiest place to be. Yeah. Um, now that's a, that's kind of a, I hate using that as like, Oh yeah, this is why this guy isn't. But when you look at the top guys, right. I mean, and the other part is right. He was like, you know, under recruited, but it's, it's not a, it's not a mistake that the guys who are at the very top of this draft are, you know, from some of the biggest brands and yeah. in, in college hoops. Um, so I like that. Um, when you, when you kind of go through his game, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I can see him carving out a spot for himself in the NBA pretty quickly. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm here for that. Six. I forgot he was there. 16.8 and eight. Jeez. Yeah. Jeez. Look at Justin Lewis. Look at Justin Lewis. Um, my most likely steal is AJ Griffin because I think he's going to go seventh <laughs> and I think he's going to be at least the fourth best player in this draft. I love it. It's, it's, it's quite that simple. It, 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 my, I have one bullet point here with my most likely steal being AJ Griffin. It's if he starts the health, the year healthy at Duke, he's at least the fourth best guy in this draft. Yeah. Without question. Yep. I think we're going to look up in a few years and we're going to be like, how in the world did AJ Griffin go seven? And the answer is going to be because he wasn't healthy at Duke when he got there. And, but I think as we saw AJ Griffin sort of get more confidence back in AJ Griffin, both as a college basketball player and a, in, in just getting more confidence in his body, we saw what he was capable of. Um, I like AJ Griffin a lot. So he's my most likely deal because I think we're going to look up and just be like, what? There were six guys picked ahead of him. And, and well, and it's not like, I think 
like if he was healthy, do I think he has like years better than Chet, Paolo, and Jabari did? Probably not. But I do think he's in a position where we're like, yeah, that guy, that guy's an NBA player for sure. And he's much more in the fourth, you know, in the number four overall pick category than the, you know, six, seven, eight category. I'll save my thoughts on him for a little while. But like 33% increase. That's what I'm talking about. When we're talking about a steal, 33%, we'll take it. That's jumping two, three spots from seven to four is a, is equally as impressive as like being a guy who would be go from like, you know, 27th to 20th, right. Or 27th to back into the lottery. Um, anyways, he's my most likely steal. Okay. Let's jump to high seal. Chat. This is the correct answer. This is the correct answer. It just says the best case scenario, some kind of combination of the better qualities of Nicole Jokic and Joel Embiid. So yeah. <laughs> right. The <laughs> idea of the rim protection the passing now he's not Jokic passing, but the ability to facilitate offense to shoot the ball. He's again not physically there, but mm-hmm. I I just don't have a lot of concerns about his ability to protect the rim. It's not going to look like him beat, but he's going to have some of that. And well, the go ahead. And, and the more he gets physically stronger and sort of gets onto the NBA regiment, the closer he's going to get. And I, I just don't think that he is like, he's a different type of rim protector. Yes, he's a exactly. help side rim protector. Yeah. He is like, nobody is ever like what he's going to allow his teammates to do on the defensive side of the basketball is you play as aggressive as you want to, because if he gets by you, I'm going to be there right. he's to erasure. block a shot. He's, yeah. I'm going to contest everything. And, and listen, to be honest with you in 2022, I just, I just don't really care. He's going to get, knocked over in the post how many nba bigs are we are we talking about like Embiid. that's part of why Embiid i think is so like dominant is because nobody else is like ex- nobody else is preparing for that nobody else like nobody else does it nobody mm-hmm. else does it so to the combination of listen chet is like seven feet 200 pounds you know who was also seven feet 200 pounds when he entered the nba Jokic. Giannis. oh yeah so yeah Giannis is now seven feet and like 250. Now no, there are some not, extenuating circumstances. There, right, but yes. right, right. But my point is, is that everybody gains 15 pounds yeah. when they literally don't have to do anything other than think about their body. And yeah. they have people who literally have nothing else to do but to think about Chet Holmgren's body, yeah. right? Yep. I just like, like there is a difference between like the catering and the like dining hall food and the food that he's going to get every single day in the NBA. It just... And the regiment and, and all of it. I just don't, that I am the, the size thing or the strength thing, similar to like the age thing. I'm like, if that's the only thing you can think of to knock Chet, then like, it's going to, it's probably going to be. Okay. That's why he has the, and, that's why and he's got the highest seal. Right. And, and, is it, and it's not like his games, like when you go to the offensive end, his limberness and flexibility and skinniness and agility actually helps him on the other end because he, mm-hmm. he has guard-like skills. Yep. And him being wiry and long when he's just, when he's a great shot blocker and clearly a great, you know, rotating over contesting a shot kind of guy, I think it's going to be fine. And I think he, like, I, there's a world in which he is very, very scary and, and very, very good. Um, in lots of worlds, not a far off world, like a, a world pretty close from here. So 
Um, highest floor. Jabari Smith. Yeah, we'll just keep rolling. Yeah, that's correct. The size and the shooting stroke are just going to translate. Yep. Right. He can he can score the that's ball. A, he doesn't need a lot of help. That's about all we need to say. I mean, we can we can elaborate if you'd like to, but yes. yes. When you when you're that tall and your shooting stroke is that smooth, at the very least, he's a pick like like the floor for Jarrett Barry Smith is a pick and pop guy who you are terrified of him shooting a three and he's good defensively. Right. Like that's yeah. what we're talking about. That's a pretty yeah. darn good place to be. Yep. You're most exciting. AJ Griffin. AJ Griffin. Okay. Yeah. The only thing I put here was who is the last three and D guy who can average 20? And I mean real three and D guy. Right, not Kawhi, not Paul George, not two-way players. Um, I think I think Michael Bridges is on that list. And I just want AJ Griffin's offensive game all day long. Not Bridges, no, much I mean, you, you asked you that asked was, me who who could yeah. do it. I think Michael Bridges can do it. Possibly, he was the first name that came to mind for me too. Um, and, and Griffin's not going to be a lockdown elite defender, but just. That shooting stroke, he's big enough. He's going to guard people. I'm right there with you. That we're going to look back on this thing, and he he is going to go high, and we're going to wonder why he didn't go high. You put it perfectly. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm looking here. I can't. I, I'm somebody ranked the best three and D players in the 2021-2022 season. Um, Andrew Wiggins. Is that, I is think that, AJ Griffin. Well, I'm just, I'm just sure. throwing other names out there. And like it, Andrew Wiggins is nowhere near the shooter. Agreed. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not necessarily taking yeah. anybody over him. I'm just throwing names out there. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Grayson Allen is on this list. Oh, my. My point is this guy doesn't really exist. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. The, the top two on this list are Andrew Wiggins and Michael Bridges. Okay. But the, the, to your point, not a lot. There aren't a lot of guys. Um, I double dipped. My most exciting is Chet Holmgren. No, oh, there you go. I see you. I, like, I, I don't really feel the need to justify it either. No, no. I, there's a reason that we've been talking about this guy for half a decade already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't like like we've had the Evan Mobleys. We like I genuinely don't think we've ever had a prospect like Chet Holmgren. I don't no. think we have. Yeah, I would and agree with that. And and that's exciting. Yeah, I think there's only one answer for most NBA ready. See if we agree. Yeah, who is it? Paolo. That's correct. It's yeah. a, that's the correct answer. Six ten two fifty. Are you kidding me? Right. Are you kidding? Yeah, the me? other. The other part of this where I differentiated floor and most NBA ready is, and we've talked about this, the difference between these two guys, Jabari is tougher to guard, but Paolo is way more polished. Mm-hmm. And he is going to be able to come into the NBA and get to his spot the same way he did it. Yeah. That from a, from a being a focal point of an offense and not needing to help, needing any kind of help or needing to be put in a good situation. Yeah. He is the most prepared player in this draft. Agreed. Polished offensive game with an NBA ready body. That's yep. what I put. Yep. And and he's 6'10, 250, so he's not going to get pushed around by anybody. Oh no. That, I think that's the that's the correct answer there. I mean, not exactly. There's no such thing as correct answers, but I in this exercise, but I kind of think that's the correct answer. Um, your biggest project. 
Two more. Blake Wessel. Okay. Yes, he warrants a first-round pick. My question is, how often do these uber-high upside guys who were shaky or didn't demonstrate everything they could in college work out? Mm-hmm. I don't feel like we look at back at these kind of players as steals. Right? Who are the steals? Jalen Brunson, Desmond Bain, Peyton Pritchard. Or less well-known, sometimes it's international guys like the Jokic. I don't see a lot of these sort of physical projects working out. Mm-hmm. And, and the other part of this is how many guys make the kind of jump that you're asking Blake Wesley to make from the college to pro level and are even better professionally than they were in college mm-hmm. because he was good. He's clearly very talented. I'm just concerned that he left too early and is going to get buried and not get the opportunity he would have if he would have played another year later. Because then he would have been a lottery pick and people would have been expecting him, you know, handing him more responsibility. And, and maybe, and not to sound like a broken record, but maybe that's a good thing. Maybe it goes to a team that just needs him to come and be a point guard. Yeah, it could, it could work that way. And that's, that is the part of this where I, I went project instead of risk of, right, if you put him in the right spot, and it's almost fit dependent in a way of, and you get him, I just keep going back to the Warriors because they have this thing down pat. But, right, one of those teams that need a backup point guard, sure. And then, you know, over time, he sort of like Monte Morris. They're very different from a prospect standpoint, but, right, you don't have a lot of responsibility initially, but you come and get comfortable and then continue to evolve. Certainly that's possible. My biggest project is Poku part two. Mr. Nikola Jovic. <laughs> I love Ke- Kevin O'Connor from the ringer on his, uh, on his big board, on his guide thing. It's a, you know, he'll have shades of, you know, yeah. like, and it says his shades are Danilo Gallinari and not Nikola Jokic. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm guessing it's Nikola Jovic, so I apologize. Um, but he's kind of like Poku. It's like, yeah, do I really see it? But he's also like smooth with ball in his hands, good in the open court, good in the pick and roll. A guy who's six ten with good pick and roll skills right. and he a does good all those things that guys is, 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 supposed to is, do. <laughs> is not exactly a bad place to start. No, he's a, about a bigger, as big around as Poku is. Um, he's not, he's clear, like he's really good when he gets momentum. I'm not sure he's, I'll be interested to see if he's able to get like his own half court shot off at all in the NBA, but it's fun to, from the tape I saw, it's fun to watch him run up and down the court. He's really smooth with the ball in his hands and that's just kind of fun. So uh, maybe he'll end up somewhere that he can kind of, Right. I feel like for Poku, it's just a bunch of really young guys who are trying to like prove that they belong in the NBA. Right, and that's right. kind of not what Poku needed. Um, it's like, you know, it's like the fundamentals guy in a five on five tryout where you're trying to show the other people. It's like, yeah, the, that fundamentals guy shows how good he is when it actually matters. And everybody's not just looking out for himself. Anyways, rabbit hole. I didn't make the eighth grade basketball team for that reason. It makes me sad. Um, but I think he has a, a a very long way to go, but he's 19. He's fun. Um, he's a Poku-esque, but I think he's a little bit more uh, NBA, um, slightly more NBA ready than Poku was, especially physically. Um, so uh, Nikola, 
not Jokic, Jovic. Uh, he's my biggest project. I just hope we get to a point where he's good enough that it's possible to confuse the two. Yeah, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> wouldn't that be fantastic? Okay, last but not least, you're most fit dependent. Going to go kind of, I mean, it's a first round pick, but a little bit out there and say Walker Kessler. Oh, interesting. Okay. And I, I believe it was Kevin O'Connor. I was looking at the ringer too. I believe it was that one. Hasn't gone to the Grizzlies. Yes. This is Which, true. and the argument was exactly fit dependent. The Grizzlies can play with a rather immobile big because of Jaron Jackson Jr. Mm-hmm. and are built to have that rim protector. And yes, Walker Kessler belongs in the NBA because he can shoot the ball and he blocks, you know, 16 shots a game. If there is a place for him, I just want to know how is he going to be used and who are his teammates and how can he complement them? What, what is the team that's picking him, looking for him to do? Because to me, he's a specialist, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, right? He's not going to get taken eighth overall. Mm-hmm. But is it, a t- is it a team in a position to best utilize the skills he has? Or is it a team that's going to have to adjust the way they play because all of a sudden there's this seven-footer in here who brings something entirely different? So I'm just curious in that aspect. So I went, went Walker Kessler. I like that. I'm, I went with a big who played in Memphis, but in college with my – most interesting guy um and this is this is more specifically because i think jalen duran's going to go really high in this draft and i just need whoever picks jalen duran high in this draft to not ask jalen duran to do more than mm-hmm. he's capable of right away yep let him go Be- because he is elite at the things he's elite at already defense shot blocking athleticism and he disruption. can he can stick from a physical standpoint in the NBA. he is right. built to play in today's NBA. Yeah. right and and what jalen duran makes me think of is another former memphis guy is precious achua i think precious came to the nba and went to the team that he was supposed to in the miami heat we nailed that by the way we did we did <laughs> yeah and then he so he got to be comfortable and then he went to toronto and he's a much more well-rounded player now than he was when he got to the NBA. No question. But nobody was asking him to be more than what he was, him being precious when he got to Miami. He was part of a culture that I think we both thought fit him. He got to just kind of be an athletic disruptor defensively. And as he, you know, over the last few years, his game has become more well-rounded. He's a little bit more polished offensively. It, Jalen Dern's never going to be like an offensive powerhouse, but I, I am very much of the mindset that if you let a guy get comfortable doing what he does well already and kind of let him grow into the things he could be good at eventually, that that is very, very helpful. And why Jalen Dern is here specifically is because, right, a guy who goes 26th overall, like generally he's being asked to come in and do the things that if he's being asked to do anything, right? He's being asked to do the things that he's yeah. already good at, right? Peyton Pritchard, hey, come in and run our offense. Don't make a bunch of mistakes um, as our backup guard and, and hit a couple three-pointers, right? All things Peyton Pritchard did already when, mm-hmm. you know, at Oregon before yep. he got to the NBA. Hey, Jalen, come in, be the most important guy on our defense, block a bunch of shots, be an issue, be athletic, 
and will dunk ease the ball. you into right and dunk the ball and just be a presence on that end of the floor and be a guy who stands in the dunker spot on offense and will get you into a place that is more polished on the offensive end um, as we go. I think that's important. I really like Jalen Duran um, in general as a prospect. I just hope he doesn't uh, get put in a place where it's like, we just picked you eighth. Hey, dude, we just picked you eighth. We need you to score. Don't do that. So that's why he's my most dependent. But on the other side of things, like, yeah, he could go play defense and block shots anywhere. Mm-hmm. You're, you're looking is, out for his long-term. Which long-term is fair, future. but I, but it's a little bit of the Corey Kispert thing. Corey Kispert could go and mm-hmm. make shots anywhere. But but there you go. That's, like that's my most fit-dependent guy. How about that? Were you, are you excited by this draft class? Yes. I like the top of this draft. I like the top of this draft too. I'm bored, then, by, about so this, I'm bored by about the 11th prospect. Yes. I, I will say I have a hard, I have not found guys. I am, I mean, Justin Lewis to an extent, but usually I have guys I'm really excited about later on. Yeah. I haven't really found those guys. Completely agree. There's a little bit of microwave guard scorer thing going on, like in the back half of the first round with Ty Ty Washington and Kennedy Chandler. Yep. That, that's the one. That's the one guy I will say. That, I'm already in little, love with is Kennedy Chandler. That's a little fun. Um, but other than that, I mean, I don't know. That's not a knock on the draft class at all, and it's not. It's never going to be fun for this class to go right after the 2021 class. Even if Paolo, Jabari, and Chet are all awesome, it's still going to be like, yeah, but do you remember the 2021 class? Um, but either way, um, I do, I do like the top of this draft. Um, I will be interested to see who is uh, an impact guy once we get outside of the, outside of the, the 20 ish. And there's, there's also a lot of like, wow, that guy, I was not expecting to be in the NBA draft like a year ago, mm-hmm. right? Whether it's. Yep. And guys, I'm thinking about, you know, like Tari Eason was not expecting him to be a top yep. 20 prospect in this draft. Um, guys like Jeremy Sohan. Uh, yeah, Jeremy Sohan, Malachi Branham, not never thought that was going to happen. It just Blake did Wesley. I think he was going to be a one and done guy. Blake Wesley, uh, Bryce McGowan's from Nebraska, Kendall Brown, we talked. I mean, he was kind of supposed to yeah. be that. I, I would argue McGowan's falls in that category too. But. It, it was not a clear sort of a straight line to highly touted, you know, high four slash five-star recruit mm. star, no brainer going to the NBA. To me, that's what this is. It's, you know, Malachi Brandon was good. Didn't exactly steal the show. Wasn't the best player on his team, mm-hmm. you know, and right. All of a sudden he's, I mean, he's going to get picked pretty high. Teams are falling in love with him and right. you can see the potential, but also, right. He was just a good cop, you know, there wasn't, aside from those top, the Chets, the Palos, and the Jabaris, and Jabari wasn't even necessarily supposed to be what he turned into. Mm-hmm. And AJ Griffin, I think, would fall in that category too. It raged kind of this sort of up and down. Yeah, you don't, you don't, you don't sort of draw the straight line from where they were coming into college to today and go, oh yes, that was a clear path to being first round. So there you go, superlatives. I like it. I'm here for it. And now I'm looking forward to the draft. This was kind of the first uh, yes. exercise to get me kind of back into this group of prospects to really dive uh, deeper into what we've got here. So 
I'm looking forward to uh, what we got going on the next couple of weeks before the NBA draft at the end of June. Mr. Doring, do you have anything else for the people on this particular podcast? I think we have provided enough. I think you're right. I think you're right. Let's get out of here. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod. And uh, we'll be back next week. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He is also Josh, hence the name of the podcast. And we'll see you later.